Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends, and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Dr. Angela Schill and I talk with Dr. Danielle E. Williams about servant leadership and the importance of value congruence. Dr. Danielle E. Williams, welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just thrilled to be able to join Dr. Angela Schill for this interview. My name is John Westover. Uh, Angela and I are both at Utah Valley University in Utah, and uh, this podcast is part of the Women in Business Impact Lab. Really, I want to start things off with a little bit of the background for Danielle, and I'll start with her bio. Dr. Danielle Williams is a servant leader that for over 20 years has worked in the fields of education, leadership, and healthcare. She holds degrees and certifications from Virginia State University, Norfolk State University, Harvard University, Nova Southeastern University, and is currently studying in the School of Divinity with Regent University. Her work in education and leadership has been presented during numerous conferences, workshops, and leadership seminars. And I could go on and on, but Danielle, I'm going to pause there. Anything else you would like to share with me and Angela in the audience before we dive on into the in-depth conversation? No, I think you can tell though, from what you read, I love school. So I should (laughs) go to the bumper sticker business and do a, I love school. (laughs) You know, we all do. That's why we're all professors, right? Right. We're we're forever students. We're forever students. Well, Danielle, I just want to dive in and ask you if you would share some of your journey, how you rose to a leadership position in higher education, and what were some of the pivotal moments you had that helped shape your career, which 20 years. and It's counting. a long time. I know you guys are making me sound really <laughs> old, but um, right it, was, it feels you. like, look, it feels like just yesterday. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a family of educators, right? My mom was an elementary school teacher. So education has always been around me because when you have a mom that's a teacher, so are all her friends. (laughs) All of her friends are teachers too. So your aunts, your uncles, people you associate with, you know, your family, they're, they're educators. And so I grew up in a family of education. I honestly did not always know that I was going to be in education when it was time for me to go to college, I knew that my mother would not accept my uh, answer of what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I wanted to say acting and that I was going to be an actress 
but I knew that that was not going to fly. And so I thought about what could I say that people are on TV, <laughs> but that you can get a college degree for. And so it became, I'm going to be a reporter or a news anchor. And that means I'm going to major in communications. And so that's what I did. I went to Virginia State University undergrad and I majored in communications. I worked at a news station. I had an internship and I really thought that that was what I was going to do until it became time to graduate. And I, my roommate, Jennifer, worked in the admissions office and I wanted to come in and gossip with her every day as if we weren't going to see each other later. And the admissions director said that I could come in there and we could talk all we wanted to as long as I helped Jennifer stuff envelopes. <laughs> so I stuffed envelopes. I, I, I talked, but when you're doing something right, I have a mentor, Dr. Sass, Dr. Teresita Sass, who always says more is caught than taught, right? Um, and so you'll hear me use the term caught taught, meaning I was taught it, but it was because I caught it, not because it was actually taught to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was stuffing envelopes and asking questions and Jennifer and I were gabbing away. Um, and at the end of that, um, I realized I need to have a job when I graduate. And I had been volunteering in the Office of Admissions. And so that's how I landed my first job as a road runner. That's what they used to call it. And then recruiter, which is a recruiter. And so that's how I started. I started off as a recruiter. I started off answering the phone. I started off stuffing envelopes in the admissions office at my institution. Um, and from there, I just kind of kept going um, and I was recruited from there. I was actually recruited from my institution to teach. And so I taught English for um, a year at a middle school um, and it changed my life. And I think it was the first time that I worked with students who had a different background than I did. Um, and it started to develop my passion, right, for wanting to help students and really kind of allowed me to work in what I consider my life's purpose and that's to serve mm -hmm. um you know people read a person's bio and they use terms like servant leader it sounds good but that's really and truly who I am I am a servant leader I was born into this world to serve right and that is how I view every position that I get in um you know, there's a book, a very popular book that talks about you get accolades, degrees and titles, but not for yourself. You get those things to help others. And so every position that I've gotten, I can honestly say I've used it to help others. And I think that's what's helped me to move on um, everywhere I went um, and kind of broaden my horizon and enlarge my territory in education. Um, you asked me, Angela, about pitfalls. Oh my God. I mean, the pitfalls were so deep. I, I thought that I was covered in mud half the time. Like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> educators who love their work, their work, they don't make a lot of money. Seriously. <laughs> I felt pretty rich at home. You know, I was living at home. I didn't pay any bills. Everything was taken care of for me. Um, but you know, that was my mother. That was, you know, when you're real life and you're having to get out here, you start to to see. Yeah. And so 
um, some of my pitfalls were confusing, um, chasing, and, and just another term I use, chasing paper and not purpose, right? Chasing a dollar sign or a title. Um, and so some of the pitfalls were just chasing the wrong thing and not staying true to the call and staying true to what it is I'm supposed to be doing, which is serving, right? And kind of feeling like, well, I have my master's now, so I need to make more money. And certainly when I got my doctorate degree, I need to make more money. <laughs> and so I was doing some moving around based on that, like I should be making X amount of money. Um, it wasn't until I had a position where I made the most money I had ever made. I made six figures. And I remember driving home and I called one of my best friends and I said, girl, we made it. <laughs> we have made it to the mountaintop. I make six figures. Um, But then slowly I, I started to realize that I wasn't noticing a real difference. And I was spending so much time on the road that I wasn't able to enjoy it. And I was missing a lot with my children and um, all of the things that women have to contend with. And I can only speak from a woman's lens because that's who I am and, and that's my experience. And so I, um, you know, had to make some different sacrifices and do some different things. By now, I'm married. I have two children. And so I'm having to do some different things. And um, one of those things was deciding, making a decision. So some of my pitfalls involve the decisions that I made as well. Can I drill down for just a minute, Danielle? Sure. You talked about, you know, as I heard you talk, you know, there's this point where you have to you have this tension between, you know, educational success, career success, and you have to decide what your core values are and how you're going to move forward. Right. And you talked at the beginning about the servant leader kind of mentality. Um, that seems to be one of your core values that has guided you throughout your career. Maybe can you just zoom in on that a little bit and explain to us what you mean by servant leadership? I think, you know, listeners know the term, um, but it probably manifests or, or means something a little bit different to different people. So what does that mean for you in your career? And how has that been? a, a How have you used that as a value to help guide you as you find yourself in those, those different decision points of, of deciding to go chase more prestige, more money, whatever, versus I'm going to stay true to my values. I'm going to stay, you know, with what I feel my life's mission is. So that is a great question, John. And I'm glad that you ask it and position it that way. You're right. A lot of people that probably will view this podcast know what servant leadership is, right? Because it's a term that a lot of people use. But I'm going to tell you um, about an experience that I had that I think will speak to what it is when I say servant leader. So during the pandemic, I worked at a hospital and I'm an educator by trade. So imagine I have left this six-figure job and I am now off to bigger and better and greater things. Um, I was with that six-figure job for about two years. It took me an hour and 32 minutes every day to get home and go back. So it was an hour and 32 minutes each way. Um, I was missing things with my children. At the time, my marriage was falling apart. Um, there was a lot of, of the other stressors going on in my life. 
And then there was a decision not to renew my contract. Um, it was at that time that I had to make a decision on what I was going to do next. And so that's one of the things that you talked about, you coming to a decision point and choosing a core value over chasing money. Um, and I had a friend say, you know, Danielle, you're really good at um, educate. You're really good in education and speaking and teaching. And it seems to be a passion of yours. Why don't you try to become an educator in a healthcare system? And so I did. I applied for the position, one position, and I end up getting it. And here I go to the hospital. Now, I've never worked at a hospital. I am not the first person to sign up for a doctor's appointment. I go and I have to only literally my toe has to be separated from my body um, <laughs> in order for me to go. But here I am working at the hospital and I love it. And then, you know, the dreaded March 2020 comes around the corner and the world stops. And I am working at the place that knowingly sick people come. We know that sick people come to the hospital. Um, and at this time, we had never heard terms or weren't using them regular pandemic. We were not using that term regularly. We had no idea that you could be forced to stay in your home for healthcare reasons. Um, I think the closest I had come to it, I'm a big um, British TV fans. So I love The Crown. I love Downton Abbey. And there's an episode in The Crown where there's smoke and, and sickness is taking over um, and people have to stay in their home. So that's the closest I've known about anything like this. And here I am working at a hospital. I am frightened. Not only am I working at a hospital, I'm keenly aware every day how many people are coming to that particular hospital, dying from COVID on a ventilator. Um, and my hours are being cut. And so I'm going from being salary now to hourly. And I have to make a decision on what I'm going to do to continue to be able to feed my family. And I'm telling you this so that I can almost back you into when you talk about real deal decision-making. Um, and so here I am now with a doctorate degree and I'm sitting at the front desk um, we're typically volunteers who range in age from 60 plus to like 80 on, usually sit. And people who I've educated who've come into the hospital are now asking me, why are you sitting here at the front desk? You have a doctorate degree. Like, what are you doing? And I can honestly tell you it was one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever done. And it was fulfilling because it tapped into my core value like never before, serving. When you can give of yourself to help someone else and I'm doing a motion of lifting them up because when you're serving someone, when you're taking from yourself, so I'm not worried about my safety and I'm not worried about, can I get COVID? Can something happen to me? Because I'm knowingly sitting in the hospital day in and day out where sick people are now walking in off the street, coughing and saying something's wrong. And some of those people are ending up having COVID. And also there's not just COVID happening in the hospital. They're still dealing with all of the other issues that people come to a hospital for. So I'm at the crux of life and death literally every day. 
there is a melody that plays every time a baby is born in this particular hospital. And it's other hospitals do it too. So we would literally be hearing the melody and think, oh, wow, new life has come into the world. And then we're faced with someone walking in and we can tell from what's in the system that they're here for comfort care, meaning their loved one is in their final moments and they're having an opportunity to come visit them in their final moments. It was during that time where I saw the power of giving of yourself to help someone else that spoke volumes to me past a paycheck. And for me, I was making significantly less, but the peace I had, the joy I had, the fulfillment that I was able to go home with every day on some of what some may consider the worst days, the peace that I had because I was giving of myself to help someone else was priceless. And it was in that lesson that God showed me, doesn't matter how much you make. If you're doing what it is that you're called to do, if you're doing the thing that you were born in the world to do, your gifts will make room for you. I was at that time bringing home about $300 every two weeks. By the time they took out everything that they take out, I was literally bringing home about 320. How I paid my rent, I don't know. How I paid gas, I don't know. My children, of course, ate. They still had some. I was able to do, but it, I honestly, for me, believe it was because I was doing the thing that I was born to do, which is serve. And serving gave me so much peace that in that I made the decision to never, ever do any other job again if it doesn't speak to the core of who I am, if it doesn't allow me to work in my purpose. And when I looked back at the trajectory of my career, when I looked back at what fulfilled me most, it came back to serving for me. Every role, when I was an element, when I was a middle school teacher, serving. When I was a road runner, introducing, I'll never forget meeting a young man in a gym and I'm set up with all this college material. And he comes up to me, him and his mother. And he said, what is this? And I said, this is a college fair. And we're all here recruiting people to come to our institution. And he looked at me. At this time, John, I am 26, let's just say years old. That young man looked at me and said, you mean I can go to college? And I looked at him with everything I had in me. And I said, absolutely you can. And to see the change literally in his eye, I will never forget that. And so I was able to carry that with me. And I think a part of me always was seeking to get that look, that feeling back again. And in my decision-making to take these different roles, even the roles that I took, for money, it was still, can I serve? It was only when I got into a higher position that I realized that I moved away from my what fed my superpower. What feeds my particular superpower are college students. That's what feeds my superpower. So I know now that I can't ever take a position that will remove me from what feeds my superpower. My superpower is serving. 
What feeds that, students? Every time. Every time. Thank, thank you. Thank you for that explanation and, and the background. And, and you know, Angela and I are in the OB and leadership space academically. You know, one of the concepts we, we teach and, and talk about is, is values congruence. Uh, and the ability to to have the, the self-reflective nature um, sufficient so that you as an individual can understand your core values and recognize how they align or misalign with an organization, with a particular um, job role. Uh, that's really, really important. And, you know, everyone has different priorities, different values. Um, the point here isn't necessarily, you know, the right and wrong values. The point is, uncovered what your core is and then seek for values congruence and alignment with the jobs that you find yourself in you're going to be happier you're going to you know do better stuff you're going to be a better person for the people you lead and serve you're going to you know for in this in the case of the university environment and students you're going to be a better teacher and a mentor all of those things because your values align and so often, you know, people find themselves in misalignment. And that's one of the reasons why you have, you know, we, what we often call the midlife crisis, but it can happen at any time. It doesn't happen to happen. It doesn't, doesn't need to happen at midlife. And it's because people find themselves completely out of whack uh, with what matters to them and what they find themselves doing each and every day. And uh, so I, I appreciate your example of, you know, having the, the willingness to, to not only discover that, but then follow in line with, you know, what those core values are. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm glad you took some time to speak, John, because I didn't have a voice for a minute there. I'm so inspired by what you shared. Um, and just John mentioned mentorship as he was speaking just now. And I think I would imagine that you're a mentor for a lot of people. And I'm curious about, I'm curious about what it's been like for you, if you had mentors that inspired you and how they played a role in your journey to become the leader that, and mentor that I'm sure you are. You are for me already, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mentoring is, for me, another form of service, right? Um, and yes, I have some of the most awesome mentors, I think, you know, on this side of heaven. Um, and I have different ones for different things. Um, Dr. Sass, I already mentioned, you know, she taught me, you know, making sure you know your business and have your business know you, you know what I mean? Um, making sure that you're prepared. Um, Dr. Michelle Blunt, she's a hokey. She would, I have to tell you, she's a hokey. Um, but she, you know, taught me work your show. Don't let your show work you. You know what I mean? She taught me showing up and looking the part and being everything that you look like. You know what I mean? When they read your bio on paper, paper, you know, make sure you meet the moment. Um, and so I've had some awesome mentors. And yes, I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to mentor um, other people, students and, you know, working adults, um, some who are older than I am, who consider me their mentor. I mean, certainly some that are just starting off, not only in education, but just other fields in general. Um, just, you know, having a safe place um, to express and to work through and to really find yourself, I think is very important. Um, I, one of my 
I want to say former, but I realized yesterday that we've never stopped the exchange, but um, she's moved on in her field and I saw her yesterday and she just, you know, kind of gave me so much. And, and as we were talking, I started to realize, you know, mentorship is something that is, it never ends. It's almost like that movie, pay it forward, right? Someone has done it for you and Angela, John, you do it for someone else. And those, I always tell my mentees, every one of them that's connect, you're connected to me because you have some of me in you. <laughs> um, I tell them that all the time. Now, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but I tell them you have some of me in you. Um, and I never present perfection to my mentees either. That is very important to me. Mm-hmm. When I was kind of going through a divorce, I was a little afraid to expose myself to my mentees because, um, you know, I, I didn't know if they thought like, wow, you seem so happy and now you've let us down. Like we thought you had it all figured out and maybe you don't. But I realized that we go through things so that we can help serve others, right? And so because I've gone through that experience, it has had the opposite effect. I am the biggest champion of marriage. And so for my mentees that are in education, that are in leadership, I'm talking to them when they have personal, non-professional work conversations about life-work balance and what that looks like. Um, I used to have an ele- a picture of an elephant on a beach ball in my office. And people would say, why do you have, that's an odd picture to have. And I would say, oh yeah, because that's supposed to be balance. And they're like, yeah, there's no such thing. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> we all know that an elephant can't balance themselves on a beach ball and the beach ball sustain itself. And they're on the same, it, it can't happen. So what does that look like for you? It doesn't mean that your level of balance can't be achieved. So for me, Um, again, it just kind of circles back. Mentoring is another form of service that I provide. I take it serious when someone asks me to mentor them. And I don't say yes to every person who asks me to be their mentor. I take some time to really think about it and reflect and prayer about, is this a person that I feel like there's an assignment there for me? And if I walk away and the answer is yes, then I say yes. And if I walk away and I feel like the answer is no, I talk to them about kind of what's going on right now and see if I can meet the need for need for right then and say, let's revisit our conversation about mentorship and let's shift our focus on this thing and, and try to overcome that. Um, but mentorship is extremely important. It is For me, it is another form of service. You mentioned earlier, you talked about seeing things through a woman's lens because there's no other lens for you. No other lens for me. <laughs> and I'm just curious about in a male dominated field that you're in, yeah. what, what do you have strategies? Do you have approaches and what have you done to break through these barriers that exist or, and how, how has that helped you advance? Yeah. So a lot of times when people, especially women, have the male-dominated conversation, to me, it feels sometimes like we're not appreciating men. And so the first thing I guess I want to start off saying is I have a love and appreciation for men. 
And I have an adoration that allows me to understand and respect the fact that I am not a man, right? But I respect men and I respect the positions that they hold. And I respect the responsibility that it means to be a man because I too have my own set of responsibilities as a woman. Um, and so I don't go into a space feeling like I need to compete with a man. I am not a man. I am not going to compete with another man. It's just not going to happen. I have grown to a place where I feel secure in my womanhood. Um, uh, and I think a lot of that is surrounding myself with other women who feel and project and interact the very same way. Um, I have been in different spaces where I am the only woman, the only woman of color, the only person of color, the only woman from here within a, a country mile. Like I've been in those situations. And I think because I've always been taught to be very inclusive um, and I love difference, I learned learn so much more from difference than I do similar. I already know similarity. I already know that. Um, and so I look for opportunities to be different, to be the only, to be the first, because there's so much to be learned in that space. I think that most men respect women who are secure in being a woman and being okay with that. Um, I think that men, the men that I've worked with have respected the fact that I know my business and I am not speaking to, for, or about things that I don't truly know. Um, I'm not speaking to him in a way that tries to prove I know just as much as you do or I know better or I know more or or we're so different and you just don't get it. <laughs> um, and so I think that for me, I look at it as men are doing their thing. Now watch out, fellas. Let me do my thing. You know what I mean? So I kind of go into it that way. Um, am I aware of the reality in some fields? Absolutely. Have I felt the not so great side of being the only woman, the first woman? Yes. Um, is it a hard cross that bear sometimes? Yes. Do I get overwhelmed and, and want to say, no, I don't want to do it? Absolutely. Um, but that is why I kind of go back to center I stay true to myself. I stay true to myself and I do the best job that I can do. And I don't go into a space wanting to compete with anyone. I go into a space hoping that I'm making it better because I'm there, whether I'm the only, the first, or if it's a million of me. Um, and that if we all have the same goal, then let's go after it together. Because you as a man, you have a certain skill set that I need. And me as a woman, I have a certain skill set that if we put those together, then we're going far. And so let's just do that. Let's just do that. I love that. It feels just 
it's the the diversity component in every aspect and then value every aspect there are some rooms literally that i go in that i can check off every box being there i can check off every box i can check off being the first being the only i, I can check those off and um, like I say, all some of those um, spaces have been difficult and they have not all been great. I don't want to put it out here like everything's just great because I'm so self-aware. No, it was a journey getting here. Um, yeah, it was so, a lot of stumbling. I, I bumped into a lot of walls and hit a lot of glass before I thought, am I breaking through something here? Is this what? And, and think about the analogy we use, shattering the glass. When you shatter glass, if you were to shatter glass with your elbow or any part of your body, what are you going to have? You're going to have some scars. You're going to have some war wounds. You're going to cut yourself. Um, so yes, I have those. I've earned those. Um, some glass I broke through intentionally. Some I bumped into and it broke. And I was like, oh, oh okay. And I kept going. <laughs> um, but yeah, not perfection over here. Not I figured it out. Not I've always been so self-aware and not any of that. Um, but I have always had respect for difference because I was taught that way. So that's always been in me. Not only respect, but, you know, just being okay with that too and being comfortable kind of in my skin. I've grown to that part, being comfortable in my skin. I have been the only woman. I have been locked out of rooms where all of the men sat on the other side of the door and laughed. Um, I have heard people uh, in hallways talking about, you know, who I was and that I was the only. I have had people ask me, you know, well, what do you want me to call you when they're calling all of the men in their respective titles and roles? I've had um, other women say that to me, what would you like to be called? As if that was a question. Um, I've had those experiences and though they weren't easy at the time, I've, I've gotten better for them. So I don't look at them as bad experiences. Thank you, Danielle. This has just been a really wonderful moving conversation. I know at the time we're going to have to let you go and get on with your busy day here in just a few minutes. But before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your ongoing work, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Um, so I just want to say thank you to you both. I have enjoyed this time with you. I hope that another something will drop into the universe again and you all will have me be a part. I thank you for the work that you're doing and the sacrifice um, that goes into um, doing this level of work. So thank you on behalf of women, but thank you on behalf of all of us um, who are giving of ourselves. Thank you both very much. Um, you can find me any number of ways. I am at Norfolk State University. So you can get on the um, nsu.edu website. Um, my personal pub, uh, social media is in due time um, where you can see more of kind of what I do. That's the letter N, my initials, D-E-W, and then T-I-M-E. Um, where I kind of share and we have this dialogue um, about any number of topics, um, but more of the same of kind of along the line of, of what we're doing. 
Um, uh, my new passion baby is first-generation students. And so uh, we've recently been awarded a grant for that. And I was sharing with Angela some of the work that we're doing with first-gen students. Um, yeah, and so I think, you know, the final word on this would just be, you know, be true to yourself and um, have confidence in who it is that you are, you know, while you're in the process, you know, start to look around to understand, you know, what lessons can be learned. I learned the most about myself when I was going through what somewhat considered the worst part of my life. That is when I gained who Danielle really and truly is on good days, on bad days, in the face of adversity, who, who are you really? Um, so have that conversation with yourself in the mirror, because I believe those things spill over what type of leader you are, what type of woman you are, what type of person you are, and be very aware of how you're using what you're doing, who you are, your position, your leadership to help serve others, ensure that it's not so much about touting yourself and pumping yourself up, but how are you using those things to serve others? And just to be great always in all ways. Be great. Be great. I love it, Danielle. Thank you so much. Again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me and Angela today. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Danielle can do for you and the types of work that she's doing. And as always, we hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you'll be able to find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And we hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.